0: Hello there, and welcome back to a new episode of the Liberators Network podcast. My name is Christian Verwijs, and in today's episode we're going to talk about four key changes to the new Scrum Guide, and what they tell us about what really matters to Scrum. And with that as a nice cliffhanger, I want to take a short moment to thank some of our new patrons who joined since the most recent episode, These are the people who support our show, this podcast, but all the other content that we create, as well as the work that we do in the larger Scrum community. Lars Beunke, Theo Gehlen, Michael Bentein, Umut Arizoy, Emin Gurbus, Aysegul Akar Terzioglu, Paris Bal, Oleg Smirsky, Thank you so much for supporting us and for making a f- small financial contribution every month to make it possible for us to reach more people, support more scrum teams and support organizations all over the world. If you want to support us too, if you're not already doing that, you can go to patreon.com liberators to see how you can support the show. We have multiple tiers of support and each tier gives you access to all sorts of nice benefits. It's definitely something to explore. Now, without further ado, let's move into the episode and into the new Scrum Guide. You probably already heard the news, but there is a new Scrum Guide. It was released on November 18, and maybe you were even present for the presentation by Ken and Jeff on the changes that they made to the Scrum Guide together with a group of people that have a lot of experience with Scrum. Now, are you excited about a new Scrum Guide? Because we certainly are it's always a good moment to further emphasize what Scrum is really about, and that is also our mission as the liberators. The Scrum framework itself is subject to empiricism too, as evidenced by the new version of the Scrum guide that was just released. Its creators, Ken Schwaber and Jeff Sutherland, use each increment to improve how the Scrum framework is described and what teams and organizations should be focusing on. As stewards for Scrum.org, it has been a pleasure for us to follow the discussions leading up to this release and contribute to it with our feedback. In this episode, we take a look at the four most significant changes and explain why they were made. Now, it may be tempting to talk about all the nitty-gritty changes that were made from different words to different sentences, different ordering, but we believe that it is more helpful to understand the underlying patterns of the changes and how they reinforce what Scrum has always been about. So in this episode, we'll take a look at four of those patterns. Enjoy. Change 1. Scrum teams commit to a single product goal. Scrum is pointless without a focus on valuable outcomes. This has always been the case. It's nothing new. At the same time, many organizations and teams continue to approach Scrum from a purely mechanical perspective that is only limited to the IT department. They pay more attention to the roles, the events and the artifacts than to the overarching purpose of the Scrum framework to deliver valuable outcomes to their stakeholders. More attention goes to the vehicle of Scrum than to where it's supposed to take you. This is why clear and singular goals matter so much in Scrum. Goals give meaning and purpose to the work of Scrum teams. Goals also provide focus and act as a touchstone to base decisions on. This was already clear in how the Scrum Guide treats sprint goals. When Scrum teams don't have a single goal for their current sprint, the goal then implicitly becomes to complete all the work on the sprint backlog. But the Scrum Guide never intended the sprint backlog as a static selection of items that, once selected during sprint planning, can never change during the sprint. On the contrary, in complex work and in complex environments, The scope of what needs to be done in a sprint is likely to change from day to day, as insights emerge, problems are discovered, and oversights detected. And without a clear and singular goal for a sprint, how can scrum teams possibly decide what is important and what isn't? Without a singular goal, complex work will be ad hoc and highly stressful. This is why the new Scrum Guide puts an even stronger emphasis on clear and singular goals that capture what is valuable about the work. While it already included a single sprint goal, it now formally adds to that a single product goal that the Scrum team commits to. To give focus to what goes on the product backlog and in what order, the Scrum team commits to a single high level and long-term product objective called the product goal. There can only be one product goal at a time, regardless of how many scrum teams work on a product. If that goal is achieved or abandoned, a new one is formulated. It's up to scrum teams and their stakeholders to discover the best way to capture a product goal in such a way that it gives them a singular focus on what is valuable and important about their work. Obviously, the product goal is likely to evolve itself as teams work towards achieving it. It isn't intended as a static goal. Nothing is static in complex work. I personally believe that this is an excellent addition to the Scrum Guide and helps to distinguish great Scrum teams and excellent product owners who tend to already work from clear goals from their more mechanical counterparts it is also entirely likely that many Scrum teams will struggle with this requirement that the Scrum Guide now places on them. In many organizations and environments, the value of shared and singular goals and their influence on focus, morale and value isn't well understood. By emphasizing goals, both sprint goals and product goals, even more strongly as a requirement and not a nice to have, the Scrum Guide can make even more organizational impediments visible and ultimately, the Scrum Framework exists to make those impediments visible so that they can be removed and increase agility. Change 2 from roles to accountabilities. Over the years, the roles of the Scrum Framework have slowly turned into common job titles. A simple search on LinkedIn yields hundreds of thousands of people with Scrum Master or Product Owner as their job title. Now, this is a victory in one sense and a loss in another. A common observation, and one that we also make, is that the focus on job titles often distracts from their accountabilities, as intended by the Scrum Guide. Many Scrum Masters fill their entire week with the facilitation of Scrum events for their various Scrum teams and nothing more. Many product owners fill their week translating orders from their stakeholders into requirements, without any mandate to make decisions about the product or its strategy. The painful reality is that they are not, in actuality, scrum masters and product owners. They merely pretend to be, by their own choice, because they don't know any better or because they're not enabled to by their organization. The new scrum guide attempts to correct this by referring to accountabilities instead of roles. This further emphasizes that the scrum framework isn't a collection of job titles, but a collection of accountabilities to develop a product in an empirical manner. It doesn't matter whether your formal job title is scrum master, project manager, developer, or even professional clown. If you honor the accountabilities of the scrum master, then that is what you are for the scrum framework. We believe that this is a good change and one that emphasizes what it is that scrum masters, product owners, and developers should be spending their time on. Maybe it also allows us to stop discussions over whether or not a scrum master can be a developer or whether a project manager can act as a product owner. It's all about the accountabilities and how you fulfill them. Change three, three commitments to uphold empiricism. The mechanical perspective on scrum that we described earlier in this episode always also results in a lack of commitment. Because it focuses only on the mechanics of Scrum, the roles, the events and the artifacts, and doesn't bother itself with clear and singular goals, it loses the most powerful way to create cohesion and autonomy within and between teams that operate in complex environments. By its very nature, complex work is deeply unpredictable. Even though many mechanically inclined organizations still attempt to do so, you can't simply hand teams a detailed list of specifications and expect a successful outcome. This command and control style of management limits the creativity, expertise and experience to that of the manager who decides what needs to be done by whom. The Scrum framework in all its iterations has always been about enabling the people who do the work to take control of that work. This expands the potential creativity, expertise and experience to everyone who's doing the work. And this level of autonomy naturally requires a wholly different style of management. One way to create cohesion in these high autonomy environments is through clear, singular goals that give direction without dictating the work in detail. That is up to the experience of the professionals. The new Scrum Guide makes three goals, three commitments to those goals, and three ways to uphold empiricism explicit. The first one is that the Scrum team agrees on a single sprint goal at the start of every sprint to guide the work and the decisions they will need to make during that sprint. The people who do the work, the developers, commit to working together towards this goal rather than apart. The work that is needed for this is continuously updated and made transparent on the sprint backlog. The second commitment is that the Scrum team agrees on a single sprint single product goal to guide the work and the decisions they will need to make during the development of the product. This work that is needed for this and the decisions that are made to update it are continuously made transparent on the product backlog. And finally, the scrum team agrees on a definition of done that describes the quality guidelines that they adhere to in order to deliver high quality increments to their stakeholders. The developers commit to these guidelines and make it transparent through the done increments they deliver. All these three commitments are all about empiricism, about showing your progress, creating transparency around what you're doing, and committing to shared goals. We believe that this cha- these changes make it more clear how cohesion between autonomous teams and professionals is created through a commitment to goals and not to specific tasks. Change 4. Shorter and less prescriptive. The Scrum framework is just that. It's a framework. It is necessarily incomplete because it cannot possibly account for every context, every environment and every eventuality where it is used. This perfectly fits with the complex work it is designed for. Here too, professionals have the autonomy to fill in the details based on what works best for them. In a sense, the Scrum framework only sets the goalposts for an empirical approach and trusts in the experience and creativity of the players to decide how to best play the game. If you take a look at earlier iterations of the Scrum Guide, it's easy to notice how the Scrum Guide has become less and less prescriptive over the years. For example, older versions would recommend specific practices like burndown charts, specific questions to ask during the daily Scrum, or the practice of letting Scrum Masters facilitate the daily Scrum. We've learned that these practices are not always helpful, so the updated Scrum Guide continues the the trend of being less prescriptive. There is no longer even a mention of the three questions to ask during a daily Scrum. There is no longer a requirement for one improvement from a sprint retrospective to end on the sprint backlog for the next sprint. And the overall language has been softened to create more space for local solutions. The changes emphasize that Scrum looks differently depending on where it is used. What works for software teams may not work well for teams that use Scrum for scientific research or organizational change. And that's great. One potential downside we see of this increasing abstraction away from specific domains is that a reading of the Scrum Guide alone won't answer all those practical questions. And while we wholeheartedly agree that it shouldn't, it requires that we, as a community of Scrum practitioners, step up to support and help our peers to find what works best for them, and that we spread something like liberating structures far and wide, as a good way to help teams explore, invent, and identify local solutions. Other changes. Now, aside from the four larger changes that we already addressed in this episode, and what they reveal about what matters about Scrum, there are also some other changes that are worth mentioning. We will not discuss them in detail in this episode, but we may do so in a future episode. The first change is that instead of self-organizing Scrum teams, the Scrum Guide now uses self-managing Scrum teams to capture the high degree of autonomy that teams need in order to work effectively in complex environments. Now coincidentally, this is the same suggestion that we make in our book, The Zombie Scrum Survival Guide. When we analyze how self-organization and self-management are actually different things and the scrum guide should have used self-managing instead and well color our surprise when we discovered in a new version that that was actually also the case so that's pretty cool the second change is that the scrum guide now makes explicit that scrum teams can deliver one or more increments during a sprint in a sprint an increment is created the moment a product backlog item is completed in that it's considered done according to the definition of done if possible and desired by the product owner each increment can be released to stakeholders before the end of the sprint so this clearly removes the misconception that you can only release at the end of the sprint the third change worth mentioning is that the scrum guide replaced the term development team with simply developers this removes the idea of there being another team within the scrum team For the Scrum Guide, everyone in the Scrum team who contributes to achieving the sprint goal is considered a developer, regardless of their job title and skills. Again, it's about the accountability, not the role title or the job title. Another change is that the Scrum Guide now emphasizes that the first step of sprint planning is to talk about why the sprint is valuable in the first place. When the purpose is clear, the selection of work is then performed to make that possible, followed by a decomposition of work for the first few days. So again, this follows very much the stronger focus on creating valuable outcomes. The Scrum Guide no longer uses the word meeting in conjunction with the Scrum events, and I think that's great. Although the various Scrum events can take the shape of formal meetings, you can do them however they work best for you. In many cases, a traditional meeting where a dozen people are sitting around a conference table isn't probably the best way to go about it. And finally, the use of servant leadership in the Scrum Guide has been dropped in favor of just leadership. The reasoning here is that servant leadership is a particular practice that Scrum Masters use to support their teams and organizations. And while we understand the reasoning, we don't fully agree with this change if we're honest. We don't agree that servant leadership is merely a practice. Instead, it is a philosophy on leadership that is deeply grounded in putting others in the position where they can lead. We're worried that simply using leadership is too easily interpreted in terms of traditional perspectives on leadership, which is direct, tell others what to do, and command and control. But time will tell if this is a fear that's justified. Let's move to some closing thoughts. Scrum is still Scrum was a recurring message within the Scrum.org community that participated in the development of the new Scrum Guide. If anything, the changes to the Scrum Guide are designed to make it more clear what is important about Scrum and what isn't. While it might be tempting to engage in deep, almost theological debates about individual words, phrasings, and their ordering in the Scrum Guide, it's good to remind ourselves of the purpose of the Scrum Framework. It exists to help people and teams solve complex problems. And because those problems and their solutions tend to be highly unpredictable, they do well to work in small incremental steps towards a clear and valuable goal, using each increment to check if they're still moving towards their goal. That's all, really, and the new Scrum Guide brings that home even better than earlier iterations. And yet, for all the excellent changes, a new scrum guide is not going to magically resolve all those flawed implementations and cases of severe zombie scrum. A major challenge remains that many people never bother to read the scrum guide or make an effort to understand its purpose. From there, it's easy to descend into zombie scrum. So this new scrum guide presents us as a community with a lovely challenge to find novel and creative ways to spread the message to those who wouldn't go look for it on their own. Let's work together to bring the message of the Scrum Guide to our managers, our customers and stakeholders, to the people who are skeptical of it, to the people who don't understand what it's about but need to in order to use it effectively. And having said all that, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode, and I hope you learned something new about the Scrum Framework and how the changes that were made to the Scrum Guide tell us a lot about what really matters to Scrum. If you like this episode, please rate it, review it, and share it maybe with friends, the people that you think need to know more about Scrum and what it's all about. It's an excellent opportunity to spread the message. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you again for the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye.